You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. My name's Jack. I'm joined by Aiden and Jake today. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm great, Jack. It's Aiden. I uh, just love the fixtures this weekend. Watched every single one. They were awesome. Lots of different score lines. More goals than I was expecting, to be honest. Obviously, Leeds and Liverpool helped with that. And, yeah, school is starting up, but I'm just going to keep uh, tuning into all the fixtures. Obviously, United wasn't playing, but it was still a great weekend. How are you, Jake? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Aiden. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, it was fun to be able to watch uh, for a whole weekend again, just watching some Premier League games like we mentioned last week. It was good. Um, and, yeah, can't wait till United plays next week. Uh, how are you doing, Jack? I'm good. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to see the first three games, but obviously I checked the highlights after and did a little bit of reading and a little bit of analysis just to see what went on. But it's still the first game of the season. You can't really – uh, say too much on the games right now. You can for some of them, but as we can just jump straight into it. Uh, I'm just happy that the season's back and Everton with a great result. We'll discuss that later, but we'll start with uh, Fulham and Arsenal with Arsenal coming away 3-0 in the first game. Uh, I didn't see this one, just check the highlights after, but you guys both saw the game. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on, on Arsenal, Aiden? Or, or Fulham, it's up to you. First uh, first couple minutes, Fulham looked bright, created a couple chances, but that was about all you could say for them in the match. They were a bit disappointing. Obviously, uh, I don't know if it was a bit of a surprise to anyone else, but Mitrovic didn't start up top. It was Kamara who started, and uh, Arsenal kind of just took it to him from there. Willian was br- brilliant, providing assists. Um, I was surprised Lacazette started as well. I thought Nketiah was going to start. Obviously, that was to my detriment as I put him in my Nketiah in my fantasy Premier League. Uh, so that was kind of crap for me. And uh, I just thought Arsenal didn't have to do too much against a poor Fulham team. And uh, that's why Fulham's probably going to go down. Honestly, they, they didn't offer much in the match. And other than that, it was... I didn't think – I think Jake and I were discussing – I didn't think Gabriel started all that well. Um, he left a bas- back pass that uh, Lena had to sweep up at the beginning of the game, and then he was giving away a couple balls. But by the end of the first half, he was dominating all the statistics for Arsenal. And in terms of tackles uh, and aerial duels won and passes completed, he was at the top for all of those. And uh, I'm just actually – I think Arsenal are going to have a good season. Like I think we all predicted about sixth or fifth place with the rotation. And yeah, it was a good, a good uh, performance for Gabriel on his debut with the goal, but I didn't think he started that well and he was getting heaped with praise. What did you think, Jake? Yeah, it was kind of like you said, um, it was also nice because Fulham did start probably the better team. Like they had a couple of chances, but obviously that died down after about five minutes. Um, and obviously it's a two seasons apart, so it's not really relevant, but Fulham still cannot defend. Like they're having a really hard time defending against higher quality teams. Uh, obviously it's not like not bad. It's not like you can't blame them completely because most teams have trouble defending against teams like Arsenal or city or whoever, but um, just going on like the recruitment side, it's kind of weird for me that they haven't signed any center backs. Um, 
when that's probably like the most glaring need. Um, they have, like I was telling you, they have six fullbacks now, uh, three right backs, three left backs. So that's kind of overkill in my opinion. I don't know what they're going to do with those. Um, I think they should probably focus more on center backs. But yeah, Arsenal played really well. Uh, Willian, I think initially he had three assists, but then they downgraded it to two assists because um, the first one took a deflection off the goalkeeper. Um, and yeah, Arsenal, they did look dangerous at the end of the game, right? The, the game kind of died out because both teams knew that the game was over. Um, and again, just repeating what Aiden says, Gabriel, at, at the halftime, I, I was kind of iffy. But then, of course, in the second half, he was he was really good, scored his goal and, and did well defensively. And um, and yeah, not not much else to say. Aubameyang gets his, his classic goal against Fulham. He scores every time he plays him. And yeah. That's about it. No, no surprises really in this game. Jack, what'd you think? Before Jack goes, I just want to say that I thought, um, I think Jake and I were touching on it when we were watching the game that, that uh, a glaring weakness for Wool or uh, Fulham, sorry, not Wolves, Fulham, is that uh, Ream is in the back line. This guy is not a good player. Yeah. He's very slow and passive in defense. I thought Hector was the other center back was really covering for them for a lot of uh, a lot of the first half, but Reem, I know he's an American and Fulham's America's club, but he was not good. What do you think, Jack? I don't really have much to add, to be honest. I, I think everybody expected Arsenal to win this. Aubameyang, like you said, Jake, with the classic goal, he scored every single type of shot when he cuts in just onto his right foot and goes far post. He scores every single time. So it looks like Arteta is just trying to um, – like put out a system that get, like provides Aubameyang with those chances because he scores every single time. And thank God he's in my fantasy team because I had a shocking week. But yeah, other than that, can't say too much. Arsenal, we're always going to win this game and they're going to have a good season. Um, definitely better than last season. Fulham, they're just, they're just not good. I'm sorry, they're just bad. So I don't have much to say on them. Tim Ream, probably not going to keep you in the Premier League. Um, if you guys don't have anything else to add, we can just move on to the second game. Uh, Palace beat Southampton. Crystal Palace beat Southampton 1-0 with uh, Wilf Zaha scoring uh, a nice goal. What were your thoughts on that one, Aiden? Yeah, so to start off, I thought uh, I think Southampton were on the, the balance of play, the better team. Uh, but obviously – or sorry, yeah, Southampton were the better team on the balance of play, but obviously didn't get res- the result with Zaha on the counterattacking goal. Uh, Guaita made a couple good saves, one off of Adams, the other one off of Ings. I thought that Adams volley was, was going in. Obviously, I was hoping for that because I have him in FPL. Uh, I thought Eze was bright when he came on. He really exposed Walker Peters on one or two plays there, spinning him around and leaving him on the pitch, <laughs> which was J- Jake and I were laughing about that when we were watching the match. A uh, couple other points, even though this is just like a, I think it was just a typical Crystal Palace performance. They, they almost reminded me of a, I guess it's a Canadian way to look at it, but they reminded me of a hockey team. They weren't able to pass the ball at all, but they were, it was a playoff performance in hockey. They were just dumping it in and just defending and it didn't really matter. They were just getting the ball away after they got the lead. Uh, and it was just, I guess, a kind of a functional midfield with MacArthur and McCarthy that, that got the job done. Uh, Mitchell was good at the back, at left back. And uh, I actually thought Kiate playing at center back was brilliant, covering the ground with his pace. And as I already said, Guaita in goal. Um, but for South for Southampton, there's questions to be answered. Obviously, they subbed off one of their center backs at halftime, Bednarek, 
who wasn't Jake's FBL team, unfortunately. Uh, so they brought they brought on a replacement for him, and I just think they need to get some different answers because uh, Smallbone, who was also subbed off playing right mid in the four four two, wasn't good, and I didn't think Ramey, who had his best game. I think a lot of people were expecting Southampton to win this game, but they just did not perform to the level we thought they could, especially after lockdown when they were pretty good. But yeah, that's all I have to say. It was it was pretty much a Roy Hodgson performance from Palace. What do you think, Jake? All right, yeah, it's like Aiden said, uh, Bednarek subbed off. That was the main main talking point of the game for me, just like you said, for fantasy. I'm assuming today is going to be filled with uh, some fantasy references, so just be patient with us. Um, yeah, like Aiden said, it was not a great game. Palace ending with 29% possession and, and 51% pass accuracy, so kind of kind of tells you the, the way that they played the game or gives an indication anyway. Um Yes, Guaita, two great saves. Uh, I think Zaha, he missed he missed a sitter, I think, if I remember properly. I think he put it wide into the side netting. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I think I remember that. No, that's right. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, what else? Also, I just thought it was kind of interesting just because Southampton, they, they did kind of dominate the game, the ball and the shots, but they did look tired near the end. Um, like Aiden said, we were pointing out to Romeo specifically, he looked um, – looked a bit slow and we'll just say a little unfit um not to be rude to him um but also just because the they mentioned uh during the broadcast that Southampton only had one preseason friendly and Crystal Palace had four um so I was kind of wondering if that had I mean I'm sure it did but I was wondering if it had an effect on the players if maybe that's why Southampton looks so tired or maybe it's just because of the pressing um that they're renowned for doing but I didn't think they did such a good job with the press in this game but I think fatigue might have came into it. Um, obviously, it's difficult. There, there was only maybe 30 or 45 days uh, off season, which, of course, you need the, play- the players need a break and you need to get the preseason in. So it was difficult for every team. Um, so I'm not going to be too critical of anyone for that. But, yeah, overall, it wasn't a great game. I guess when you look at it, Palace kind of did deserve the win. They just played the way that they play, how they get results, and, and it paid off. Um, but, yeah, Jack, did you have any – any different thoughts about the game? Not too much to add. Just the fact that those games where, you know, like statistically they probably don't deserve to win the game, uh, it doesn't really matter. That's why Palace are going to stay in the Premier League, even though a lot of people think that they'll probably struggle. It's games like that that just they're not going to do any they're not going to do anything special in the league, but they're going to stay in the Premier League because they can grind those games out. They can score the goal, sit behind the ball, and just play a organized defensively and though they should be fine um every year under Roy Hodgson if they just keep keep organized at the back there they're not going to lose too many games so and and if Palace aren't careful they could be kind of interesting to watch because they have Zaha they have Eze who like Ain said he was pretty he was pretty, really good when he came off the bench um and apparently they're about to sign uh Saeed Benrahma from Brentford so that would just bring like it would just be like a whole different identity to the front to the front three that we wouldn't really expect from the Crystal Palace and the Roy Hodgson team. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, if they're playing with a front four, that would be that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Having Ben Rama on the right, Eze on the left, maybe starting some weeks, and then Ayu and Zaha up front because I believe Zaha mm-hmm. was starting as a striker this game. Yeah, uh, which would, would yeah. be kind of an interesting addition to a kind of a solid Roy Hodgson 
team that you would expect. Yeah, lots of flair yeah. up front. Well, and I they, will add, I did see, I did see some comments. I think Roy Hodgson said, and I think those Ben Rama links are because Roy Hodgson said like Zaha's waiting for a big club to come in for him this window. Oh, I believe yeah. he said that after the game yesterday. So I, I don't know. Do you guys think he'll stay? Because I don't know how much how much Crystal Palace want for him, but I'm assuming it's a lot because I don't know who pays for him right now. Yeah. The only clubs, I don't know what Jake's going to add, but the only clubs that I've heard that are going to pay that kind of fee would be some French clubs like Monaco or PSG. Mm -hmm. I think it's about a 50 million fee uh, for Mm -hmm. him, which obviously that would be a direct replacement. If you're going to look for a a right-sided player, I don't know if, if they need another striker, but because Zaha was yeah. playing striker this game, but fifty million, yeah, I could only see Monaco or PSG paying that kind of money right now. What do you think, yeah. Jake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And if he goes to PSG, he's not playing, right? Like Neymar, Mbappe, Di Maria, mm-hmm. whoever else, he won't start. Um, and Monaco, I don't really know if he wants to go there to a team that's finished seventeenth and sixteenth, I believe, in the last two seasons. Um, mm-hmm. But it's I nice. also, what's up? It's a nice place to live, Monaco. That's yeah, the only true. upside. <laughs> no tax. Yeah, I believe um, the taxes are good over there. The yeah. tax laws are good. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, just to finish up, I don't understand what, what he's getting. Like, what's Roy Hodgson getting by saying this in public? Um, all The only thing that happens is that teams know that Zaha wants to leave now so they can negotiate the price from a from a stronger, stronger point of view. So, I don't really get mm-hmm. it. Maybe he just wants clarity to it, but. I don't know. I thought it was kind of strange to say it after the after the after a win in the first game of the season. Yeah, a little bit weird, but he didn't seem to he didn't seem too excited after he scored his goal. But uh, he is a great player. He definitely deserves to play at a higher level. It's just whether or not that that time has passed. He could he could stay at Palace and just be like a legendary player for them. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the next game that we had was Liverpool and Leeds. Liverpool taking this one four to three. Mo Salah with a hat trick, two penalties, I might add. And if you had him in fantasy, and like Jake said, we'll make a lot of FPL references this episode. Uh, if you had him in fantasy, congratulations, because you're way ahead of everybody else. Now, I know a couple of people did. Uh, what were you guys' thoughts on the game? I thought, well, for the first, I'd say, 10 minutes, Jake and I were really questioning leads. We're like, what is the shape? They're wide open here after the- – Uh, Salah scored the first uh the first penalty four minutes in we're like what is the shape like they're just in two different banks the attacking bank and the defensive bank obviously that uh Bielsa plays we're like what's going on they're really open but obviously they rectified that and uh they were able to catch uh Liverpool on several occasions going on the left side up against Trent who I must add is he's been found out this game if if People already didn't know. I don't know if you have the red tinted glasses on. If you're a Liverpool fan, this guy is not a good defender whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, Harrison just ripping him for the for the opening goal for Leeds. Love to see it. Uh, Joe Gomez and Van Dyke also questioning themselves, but Van Dyke did uh, come up with the with the uh, 20 minute headed goal, which was nice to see from the uh, the Robertson cross. I thought it was an interesting game, though. Uh, obviously. Uh, Peter Drury was quite uh, intent on on saying the name Cock. He loved yeah. that name, but he he was terrible in the he was terrible in the game. He was awful at center back for Leeds, costing them a couple of goals early on. Obviously, the first penalty and another mistake later on. Uh, Bamford, 
he scored that one goal, but he he's he looks like he's not at the Premier League level. I think we've already discussed this on the podcast. But Apparent, yeah, apparently he's bad. He's not a good player. I will say he's <laughs> he, he doesn't have the finishing ability, the movement, or the confidence for me to be a Premier League striker. Click go. Click had an excellent performance. I will say for Leeds. He was all over the place, and he does take penalties, so that could be someone to watch for the FPL. Yeah, and a great volley, and, too. Exactly, and a, and a great volley for his goal. Uh, Ailing and Dallas tried to get forward as they did, but uh, obviously Liverpool won the game, Sally, with that, that banging goal and the two penalties and the Van Dyke goal. But uh, Liverpool's defense, they look like they can be got at this year. They don't look as confident. Van Dyke with a big mistake leading to the, the Bamford goal. But other than that, Liverpool, I think they got away with one a little bit, having two penalties. And Leeds, Leeds, it was a good coming out party against them, obviously coming from the championship, putting up such a great fight against the champions of the Premier League. So I can't wait to see what they do in the coming weeks, and I expect them to beat Fulham quite handily. What do you think, Jake? Yeah. um, First of all, yeah, you're right. It was a really exciting game. Um, And mostly like this, the thing that I was noticing at first was kind of how – how much space there was between uh, Calvin Phillips and the rest of the midfield. Aiden, he kind of touched on this, um, but it was, it'd be like the, the back four and Phillips would be sitting in front of them. And then the other, the rest of the midfielders and Bamford would be way up. There was like such a huge gap. Um, so I guess it, it, I mean, obviously like Aiden said, they did rectify it, but it did kind of cost them at the beginning of the game. Uh, they went down pretty early fourth minute penalty um, for, you know, his, his arm was, sticking straight out it was like both penalties were stonewall penalties i'm just trying to not say his name the guy who who committed the handball um but yeah just just, just stick, say just say kosh we don't kosh. have to go full peter drury kosh. Yeah. <laughs> i'll stick to that next time um but yeah kind of calvin phillips like he had a really good game um his his diagonals were good we saw for harrison's goal like you mentioned just over trend but the diagonal was a was a great pass um we did kind of see his passing range throughout the game i thought it was pretty impressive considering i've i've watched him maybe like one two or three times before not not more so i'm not gonna pretend like i was an expert um so i was surprised with him but in a good way um and yeah, like like Aiden's mentioned, Virgil Van Dyke had a big mistake, which we love to see, um, costing his team a goal. I guess it didn't it didn't matter at the end of the game, but just mis- mistakes starting to creep into his game. Maybe who knows? Um, <laughs> let's hope. And and yeah, Leeds just they were exciting to watch. They were like, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. They were kind of uh, almost like unapod- unapologetically offensive, and it was it was really exciting to watch. Like obviously being like a defender of not a good level myself, just, just here. It, it is kind of just frustrating to watch like some games where you think that the the defenses should be doing much better and just basic mistakes, but leads there. That's the kind of team they are. They love to attack and commit people forward. And it's exciting to watch. Obviously they'll get caught out sometimes, but sometimes it'll pay off with some goals. So, so who knows, who knows how that's going to work uh, throughout the rest of the season. Um, Jack, anything more to add? Not not much on the game, so I was at work, so I wasn't able to see that one. But I did see, I don't know if you guys saw it. Did you guys see Marcelo Bielsa's post-game uh, interview? No, I did not see I that. I did not. I, I, I saw the pre-game, was, but not the post-game. Okay, make sure you watch every 
every interview of this guy while he's in the Premier League. It is hilarious. He in the post game interview. First of all, he doesn't he doesn't speak English, so he needs a translator. Yeah, but a translator. He when yeah when giving the interviews for the post game, from what I saw, this guy was like they were asking him the questions, and he was just looking at the ground the whole time, just not not even looking up. Did not look like he wanted to be on camera. It was just <laughs> like it, it was almost like if you've seen that Maradona clip when he's giving the interview, and then it it's like. 15 seconds of him just like making weird noises yeah Yeah, he kind of does that and that's kind of what it reminded me of but you can tell everybody talks about Bielsa being a character and you can definitely tell just from that interview alone um that Leeds and and him are going to be really fun to follow in the Premier League this season no matter how they do but I think I think they'll be okay because they will go for it but in some games I know I know Jurgen Klopp praised them and said that they pushed Liverpool to the very end, which they did. But at, at the end of the day, um, I don't know if it's sustainable in the Premier League against teams of higher quality. But we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Could I just add um, a few points before we move on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add like what you were saying about Bielsa. It was hilarious because that was basically the same thing he was doing in the pregame interview, just staring at the ground and yeah. his. His translator <laughs> was giving like one word answers. Like he was not giving much away. Yeah, he looked hilarious. hilarious. And then he was getting stre- <laughs> He was getting very stressed during the game, just down on his knees, just like oh down, yeah, or sitting on his bucket. He was sitting on, on a song. cooler box. Yeah. yeah, he looked hilarious. And then as Jake was saying, um, kind of just unapologetically going forward, even though you're not going for the defensive, uh, the defensive outlook. That kind of reminded me of some like later era Sir Alex Ferguson performances when you're not really banking on the defense you're just going to outscore the other team yeah which I thought was great and then also I just want to mention Roberto Firmino was not the level of a champion of a champions of the Premier League team this guy missing a sitter absolutely shocking yeah not a top quality striker in my opinion even though he gives the work rate yeah and yeah I guess I kind of just have to give Salah some credit. I know it was a hat trick. Two of them were penalties, but his goal from open play it was it was a great finish. Um, a half volley right in the top corner. I mean, just to give him credit, it was it was an amazing goal. Um, and yeah, like I said, there were some good goals this game. Uh, like Aiden mentioned earlier, clicks volley that was really good too. It was just nice to watch. So yeah, I think we'll move on now to the next game. West Ham played Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle won two nil. And I'll start with you, Aiden, what your thoughts were. I thought West Ham, they're looking really bad. They're looking really, really bad. But what did you think? Yeah, you're right. I'm. They are looking really bad, and I'm glad that I predicted them to be in the relegation zone uh, with their run of fixtures coming up. And obviously this performance where it was the only one in their first eight games that I can really see them getting a, a three points out of. They look, They made Newcastle look like a very good team, I think. Yeah, they did. <laughs> on the day, like Newcastle looked like a much superior team on their day, even with players like Isaac Hayden, who I do not rate in midfield. Uh, they made them look really good. Uh, obviously, I thought the strike partnership for Andy Carroll, and you have to take it with a grain of salt before I praise any players 
during this game for Newcastle. You have to take it with a grain of salt, as I said, because they're playing against West Ham. But I thought, uh, and this West Ham side, which is shocking, I had to say uh, Andy Carroll and Callum Wilson were a great partnership. Uh, Andy Carroll holding up the ball and Callum Wilson getting in behind. He looks like a new player when he's not on Bournemouth. We didn't even see Ryan Frazier this week, who is great, who obviously is going to be a great addition to the Newcastle team, creating and hopefully assisting those front men. Uh, we had the Wilson goal, obviously, and then a nice strike by Jeff Hendrick, which was uh, just an added bonus, I think, from Newcastle's perspective. Nice dig out of his feet into the top corner. I thought St. Maximum was really bright, and he draws a lot of fouls, especially against the West Ham team, who the only way they could stop him and get near him was just by kicking him and taking him to the ground. Uh, I don't really think that West Ham's defense is very good at all. I think if they're want some improvements they might have to move Declan Rice back to defense but who even knows if he's going to be here by the end of the uh, of the transfer window and uh, Jamal Lewis made a great debut at left back I thought he was he was pretty good considering the team and the opposition they were playing against and yeah it was pretty comfortable for West or uh, Newcastle rather after they got the goal there's not really much for me else to say other than West Ham are not a good team and this is why I predict them to be relegated what did you guys think? There you go. That was a great summary. Um, yeah, and this is kind of one of those games where if you look at the stats, um, you would kind of think West Ham played better, but it just goes to show you that stats aren't everything. Um, they both had 15 shots. West Ham had three shots on target to Newcastle's two. Um, so obviously they scored with their only shots on target. Um, West Ham had 59% possession. Newcastle obviously had 41 Um West Ham completed 474 passes compared to 342, and they had 5% pass accuracy higher than Newcastle. Um, so if you look at the stats just like that, West Ham were better in every single category, but for anyone who actually watched the game, you know that that's not the case. West Ham did not look good. Um, and yeah, like Aiden said, Jamal Lewis, he looked dangerous going forward on the left, uh, swinging his crosses. I think Wilson got his head to a couple of them uh, and created good chances. Um, Wilson, like I just said, he was lively too, scored a goal. It was kind of scrappy, but it's still a goal. No one's going to complain about that. Um, and yeah, just from West Ham's point of view, they could realistically enter November with zero points on the on the board. So, <laughs> so, so not, not going great for them. Um, and yeah, just Mark Noble starting as a number 10 again. We saw that after lockdown, but. But I I just thought it was worth a mention again because I'm not sure that that's where he should be playing. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, not too much to add. Yeah, well, I'll start with Newcastle. I thought, like you said, Aiden, West Ham made Newcastle look very good, and Newcastle are not very good. I don't they good signings. They were awful no. before, and yeah. now they are less awful. With They're their still luck, not good. With their luck last year, the uh, like and the expected goals and everything, they're obviously not that good. But continue. Yeah. With their luck, their luck last year combined with this team, they will get into the top four. They, <laughs> they, like, they, like they were that. so lucky last year. But no, to be fair, like Callum Wilson, he had a great game. He could have scored a couple. Like Jamal Lewis, his crosses were meeting Wilson, and he's a little unfortunate with some of them, but. We all know for, for 20 million, he is a good signing if he stays fit and he will with, albeit it's against West Ham and I'll get into them in a sec, but he will score goals. And I think it's a, a quality addition to their attack. And like you said, Aiden Ryan Fraser will come in. John Joe Shelby looked 
looked uh, looked pretty good. And when he's can like, if he can just get that consistency, we all know he can pass the ball and he can shoot it well. If he can just be a little bit more consistent, uh, then you know maybe he can take his game. To, <laughs> I feel stupid talking about John Joe Shelby taking no. his game to the next level, but yeah, he does have good. Te- no, he does have good technical yeah. ability. He does. Yeah, that's like when I when I watch him play, he's one of those players that like he could be better. But I don't think he'll get there. But against no, West Ham, too he late. a class above. Uh, West Ham, there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna believe that West Ham is progressing if Mark Noble is still playing. This guy just continues to play. I know he's a club legend. His legs are gone. If, yeah, I, he's so he plays in slow motion, and this team like. When I look at West Ham starting eleven here, Fabianski is a good player. Diop is a decent player. He's still young. Declan Rice, I think he's overrated, but he's definitely way better than everybody else in this team. Suchek looks okay for what I've seen so yeah, far. Yeah, I like Suchek. And that's that's it out of this starting eleven that I actually think Bowen's okay, but they're not they're not good. Yeah, they're not they're super really, stars. They're not superstars. No. And now they lost at home 2-0 to Newcastle. I'm just going to pull up their, their next couple of fixtures here oh. just so everybody gets a good idea yeah, as to might who be they rough. play. So they play Charlton in the second round of the Cup but at home. They'll probably lose that, to be honest. Yeah, might then lose they play Arsenal. Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Spurs, City, Liverpool. Ooh, not points. looking good for West Ham. No. Potentially zero points there. Not looking good. Uh, I'm I'm very sorry if you support West Ham right now because it's not looking not looking very good. I'm so sorry. Uh, I don't have any. Do you guys have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to add like a couple things about their bench players. I thought Yarmolenko was probably their best their best player on the day, even though he came off the bench. And just a lot of those bench players and. Uh, yeah, the bench players—they're not—they're not really David Moyes type signings. I need to make some more some more signings. We've already already talked uh, touched on the uh, the ownership of West Ham, so it's not very likely unless they offload some of those players like that are on big wages, like Felipe Anderson and uh, Haller, Lanzini, etc. They're not going to make any signings, but I really think they need to if they want to stay in the Premier League. This is the type of reason why I put them in the relegation relegation zone they're just I don't know why I can't talk right now but they're really not a good team yeah I agree they just need to be smarter when they buy players which it's kind of something that we've criticized Newcastle for I just don't see it happening yeah it was touched on in the you're right Jake it was touched on in the broadcast about how they bought him after one season and he was playing as a number 10 in his former team and they bought him at and play him as a number nine in the next season uh, that's just not a smart signing. They just kind of make almost FIFA or football manager type signings after one season, which aren't good. And they definitely have to be smarter than the transfer window. But I think time's running out. I The highest I could see them right now is <laughs> 16th or 17th place. <laughs> yeah. And it is bad just because um, we saw when they, when they signed, what's his name? Uh, Pellegrini as their manager. Um, he brought along like his old sporting director, 
from, I believe, Malaga and Villarreal with him. And then as soon as Pellegrino was gone, the sporting director's out too. And I mean, if you really want to build something, you can't really just sign sporting directors with every manager. You know what I mean? You just have to have one to implement like his vision for the club and his signings and style of play and whatever else and not just get rid of them along with every manager. It just doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, you're just chopping and changing uh, every couple of years. Kind of like, without criticizing, kind of like what Everton were doing with sacking all those managers a couple of years back, like Marco Silva, Allardyce, Koeman, all those guys. It's, it kind of reminds me of the same thing, but, but of course, Everton are in a much better place than West Ham. I just, yeah. I, didn't, I, I don't know if he's just a club man, but I just don't really see how any of these three players, Lanzini, Anderson, or Yarmolenko, I know Anderson and Yarmolenko don't really play in the 10, but I don't know how any of those three players couldn't be better than Noble in the number 10 position. It's Must just, be great in training. It's just not good. But anyways, that's too much about an awful West Ham side. Let's move on here, Jack. I would just last thing uh, when we're talking about ownership and obviously West Ham have terrible owners, but Newcastle, why? And I know everybody's asking this question. Why did Mike Ashley, he's the owner of Newcastle for anybody who didn't know. Why is he financially backing Steve Bruce and was, Oh, and was unwilling to, back Rafa Benitez I'm just thinking he's just trying to sell the club and needs it to stay in the Premier League for now which is why he's making kind of shorter term signings that'll keep them in the league what like quickly what do you guys think about that then we'll move on yeah I'll go first Jake is probably more of an expert on this situation but yeah I agree with you they're probably just trying to keep them in the league signing Hendrick and uh Frazier on the free transfers and then uh Wilson trying to keep them in the league Lewis as well and I think he was honestly expecting the takeover already from the Saudis, which was supposed to go through, and obviously it didn't. Mm-hmm. So he's expecting that. And since it didn't, he's like, okay, we have to reinvest or else this club isn't going to be worth as much. And it, yeah. it is a big club with a big fan base, so it, it could have mm-hmm. a good value to take over. But I think you're right. He's just going to try to keep, keep them in the league. And I do rate players like uh, Lascelles at the back and Lewis Mankio. Mankio had a good game, even though he got a yellow card. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think you guys are right. That's pretty much the only reason. Um, just trying to build some bridges with the fans, maybe. Although I don't really see Mike Ashley as someone who cares too much about that. But maybe, you know, yeah, they got definitely Steve. he doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. They got Steve Bruce, a manager who's from Newcastle. Um, you know, I don't know. I think just just possibly trying to get the fans to hate him a bit less. I, but again, I think, Jack, you're mostly right. Just trying to keep the valuation up for the club. Um, and of course, if, if Newcastle have a bunch of crap players and owners, not really going to want to take them over to have someone who's to have like a whole squad who's worth nothing, then he has to put in more of his own money just to get new signs and stuff. So uh, yeah, like you said, just trying to make it easier for, for the next buyer. Cause he's still trying to sell it. His, um, Newcastle has been listed for sale since I believe October in 2017. So he's not, mm-hmm. he's only got one thing on his mind. So yeah, they definitely have a lot of potential. Um, We'll move on now. West Brom played Leicester. Leicester winning 3-0. Jamie Vardy with two really, really good penalties, uh, if I might add. Uh, what did you guys think of this one? My initial thoughts, I don't have a ton to say on this game. West Brom defensively, geez, they're not, it's not Tony Pulis in charge anymore, but they, they're trying to play a more offensive style, and their defending in this game was absolutely terrible. 
Yeah, just to take over her thoughts, obviously the defending wasn't great. And if they are trying to play a more offensive style, 35% possession is not what you're looking for <laughs> in terms of that. Uh, so, yeah, it's obviously not a Tony Pulis era. Or, uh, era sorry. And uh, Castagna with the first goal, I thought that was a great goal. Jake left the room for a second and Castagna popped up with the goal. I thought Harvey Barnes and uh, Pratt were quite bright in the game providing a lot of offensive spark for uh, for Leicester. And, yeah, another uh, CDM, like Kiate filling at center back in Didi, I thought he did quite well. In the first half, I thought, okay, West Brom are doing – they're holding their own. You know, Diangana and Pereira started brightly, but that was really all I could see. I, I don't rate uh, Robinson up front, and their two center mids, Sawyers and Livermore, weren't really offering much – so it left you really wondering it'd have to be an individual effort from one of their two wingers for Dian Ghana to goal. And obviously that didn't happen. So yeah, uh, uh, Leicester, they're the better team overall. And I think it was kind of predictable. They won this game. It's the same as Salah. No one can, for FPL reasons, no one can really predict that either of those players are going to get two penalties, but, Obviously, both of them slotted their two penalties away very well, and that's how it goes, I guess. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Jake? Yep, I think you're right. Uh, Leicester obviously dominated. Uh, double the amount of passes. I know it's not always uh, explanatory, but double the amount of passes. West Brom, they just kept the ball. Like you said, 65% possession for Leicester. Um, and, yeah, just West Brom, like they're full of young players who aren't exactly Premier League ready. Um, I think I mentioned it last week where I said they didn't have a Premier League standard goalkeeper defense midfield or attack, um, which is maybe kind of being harsh, but I just feel like, I feel like they're one of those teams where they're, they're too good for the championship but not good enough for the Premier League, um, which sounds, you know, kind of like a paradox, but I, that's really what I think. Um, It was kind of interesting. Like, obviously we know about how football is all, it's a business, not loyalty. Um, so I kind of think, like, just looking at this team, if you want to have a chance, I kind of think, like, maybe Slavin Bilic isn't the manager for them. Um, and I think – I know they kind of – they want to play, like, a, a nicer style too, and he's a man for it. But if they really want to stay in the prem, I kind of would have – if I was in charge, I think I might Pulis. have sacked – What? Pulis. They need Pulis again. That's what I'm saying. I might have sacked Bilic and just brought in Pulis or Allardyce. It's not going to be pretty at all, but – they almost guarantee that you could stay up in the league. So that's what West Brom are after. So I kind of think that that would have been a good move. Obviously I'm not criticizing them for being loyal um, because Billich event, he did deserve to go up in the prem with them because that was his, his aim. And that was the objective that they gave him. But I don't know. I don't think that with this group of, of players and the manager together, I don't think that, that they're capable of staying up. Yeah. I just don't think they're good enough. Like, it's nothing against them. They're just not not good enough. They don't have enough quality. I did think I do agree with you guys that Diangana. I thought he was quality for for West Brom. He looks like he can play in the Premier League, uh, yeah. but the rest of the team, especially the defending in that game, uh, was pretty shocking. I did not think they were organized at all, and Leicester just kept the ball and then would just eventually just break through the lines, and then it was pretty pretty easy for them. Yeah, and it must be said, it wasn't even a great Leicester team. Like, obviously, yeah. it's it's Johnny Evans, but they 
they don't have Johnny Evans in the back line. And then indeed he's shifting up to CDM. He was obviously playing at center back. Uh, Pratt, who had a good game, obviously. They didn't have James Madison starting. Uh, so I just and, – and they didn't James have Pereira. James left back. Yeah, they Castagna could move over to left back, like Jake's saying, with, with Pereira right back. Or if they go to a three at center back with those wing backs, that would be a, a big attacking addition, I think. Um, that would be a nice formation, Pereira at right wing back and Castagna at left wing back. I think that would be really good. Yeah, but yeah, you like you guys were saying defensively, it wasn't great from West Brom and it wasn't even a full Leicester team. So it's really tough to see what they're going to do. Obviously, I th- I think all of us predicted them to get relegated. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's probably why they just don't have enough quality. Anyways, move on. Yeah, you also can't afford to give away penalties like that in the Premier League. Like, um, but that comes from an unorganized defense. But move on. We'll we'll see what happens. Like we said, we are a little harsh on some of these teams, but it is only the first game, and there's lots of time. Yeah. And the transfer window still open until the end of the month, so still lots of time to fix stuff. And it's a long season, but just early early um, reaction to the game. So move on to. A great game this weekend. Everton beating Spurs 1-0. I am so happy with this. Um, Obviously, when the lineups came out, Everton with a new midfield and everything that I have said about the 4-4-2 formation, just forget about it because we're going with 4-3-3 now. We've got good players now. James Rodriguez starting on the right wing. Uh, Abdullah Dekoura in center midfield alongside Allen. Uh, Andre Gomez coming in to form the midfield three. What a game. I was so happy. I thought Everton were very good. Um, Spurs were terrible. I will point that out and, uh, and I'll, I'll mention like what the, what the big picture is for Everton in a minute, but what were your guys initial thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was, it was probably the game I was looking forward to the most uh, out of the weekend, Spurs against Everton, because I predicted uh, Spurs to be fifth and Everton to be seventh. I'm, I'm quite chuffed with how it, it ended up with Everton winning this match. Uh, I think the game was, was really won in midfield. Alan and Ducore were dictating a lot of the game. Andre Gomez kind of playing a third role for me in that, in that midfield, just kind of keeping it ticking on and showing some of his long passing range. But uh, I thought Alan, Rodriguez, and Ducore were exceptional. As I said, they were great signings earlier on in the, uh, in the podcast. But Allen obviously winning the ball back and just transitioning it from Keane and Mina to the, the more creative players. Where Charleston was excellent, even though he didn't get a goal. Uh, he didn't hit the target on a lot of his shots, but he had, uh, I think he had 10, 10 plus take-ons. Uh, that's the only, thir- only the third time that's happened since 2016 in the Premier League. Uh, Calvert-Lewin. Jack already mentioned it earlier. I think we've mentioned it. I was kind of just taking the piss when I said that's his only good attribute, but he is very good at heading the ball, Calvert-Lewin, and that's how he came up with the goal. But I think uh, Spurs, they didn't really have a midfield in this game, and that's where it was won and lost between Highland and Ducore and Harry Winks and Hoiberg for, the, for a lot of the game. Spurs had their couple chances in the, in the first half when Alley fired it. Pickford made it a pretty decent save, a good save if you're considering Pickford and how many, cons- uh, how many mistakes he makes. And then um, the other chance uh, where Doherty was on goal and Pickford made an excellent save cutting down the angle. 
I think that was really where the game was uh, won for Everton. They took the impetus and they, they really pushed on in the second half. They were the much better team. Uh, Rod- Rodriguez obviously creating the five uh, plus chances, which is the, the most since uh, Alexis Sanchez in 2016 for Arsenal debut. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still question marks over the back line. Early on, Coleman was getting uh, got at by Sun in behind, but he recovered well. I'm worried about that for Everton later on. I've already talked about their fullbacks getting caught 2v1. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I think it's uh, very promising for Everton and obviously a great result. And this is why with Ancelotti, Ancelotti sorry, in the new signings, I predict them to be seventh. Mourinho in the attack. I don't think he really lays out an attacking plan, which isn't very good for this team. Hjordberg, I'm not sure if he's up to the standard that Spurs will be looking for to replace a midfielder. So there's a lot of question marks to be to be asked there. What do you guys think? Yeah, um, so obviously I'm not an Everton fan, but obviously I do like them as a club, right? It just goes without saying. But it was nice to finally be excited to see an, an Everton game because um, we've talked about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't imagine how it feels for you. But, yeah, we've talked about pretty much every episode about how garbage Everton's midfield was last season and just seeing the starting lineup with all three, all three new signings in um, for this game just made me excited for the game to start and to watch it. Um, <clears throat> And like Aiden said, Alan Decore, they were really good, particularly Alan. He made some great tackles, some some crunching tackles. He added a bit of bite in there, which obviously maybe they have with Tom Davies, but not the same quality um, at all. Not yeah, not on the same planet in terms of quality. Um, and yeah, um, James, like in this game, he didn't really need an adaptation period. Um, Obviously, I'll relate everything back to United, but it was kind of like Bruno last season, just yes. the same kind of impact. <laughs> um, obviously, That's what I was going to say. Good. Sorry. We're smart. Um, obviously, in, this, in the different um, sample size, it was just his first 90 minutes, but Hamas, he looked really, really good. Um, and yeah, he is a player who I liked. I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but honestly, he's a world-class talent. And he really showed it in this game. Um, he was, you know, Everton were looking to, to give him the ball uh, whenever they could. Like Aiden said, five-plus chances created. I think he also had four or five uh, ball recoveries and interceptions. So he did it on both sides of the ball, um, which yeah. you, you don't always associate with, like, a, a number 10 with his ability. But he's willing to do that side of the game. Um, and, yeah, he's really – he's world-class. Like, I, I do love seeing him as play. Um, it's been a while. Like, me and Aiden were talking about it off, off the microphone. I mean, like, the last – the, the first thing people think about when they th- when you think about James is a World Cup in Brazil, which was six years ago. But there's no doubt he's, he's a world-class player. Um, and like Aiden said, uh, uh, Hoiberg and uh, Winks, you know, I don't know if it's them as a partnership or just in this game, but mediocre at best. Um, Winks has some nice passing, but Jack and Aiden, no, I don't particularly rate Winks that highly. Um I don't think it gives you enough defensively. I don't think his positioning is that good. Um, and it, it was just a small instance in the game, but it kind of shows why I'm not his biggest fan as a player. It was when uh, Hamez received the ball at the edge of the 18-yard box on the right side, and there was no one uh, uh, no one wide of him, but Wink still kind of went past Hamez and went to cover his right foot. Um, so just let Hamez cut in and get a shot away. Um, uh, Dele Alli struggled. Uh, taking off at halftime, he did have one chance, but other than that, he didn't really show too much. Um, and yeah, Jordan Pickford finally gaining everything some points instead of dropping them for him. So that must have been a nice surprise, Jack. 
Yeah, I was just gonna cut yeah. in before before Jack Jack takes over. He's gonna he's gonna go on. I, yeah. I can imagine, which which is fine. It was a great performance from Everton. But I was just gonna say that yeah, Hamas with the five interception was interceptions was more than than the entire Spurs team, which was what I was worried about. The defensive work rate and defensive responsibility. Obviously, I was wrong in that regard. He he really showed up and he played well and. I really agree with Jake. It was kind of a Bruno-esque performance, whether he was playing a long ball up to the front man or uh, just just knitting passes together. Some of them, he looked a bit, he didn't look his sharpest, but uh, just trying mm-hmm. to take that responsibility. I think it was a similar to Bruno at the end of the season. He wasn't looking very sharp, but he was trying to take the game by the scruff of the neck yeah. and make a difference for his team. So that's what I agree with. Uh, anyways, what do you think, Jack? And yeah, just the way he was passing the ball, just collecting on the wing and just cutting it on his left foot and playing those curling balls either in behind or to the other side. It was just really satisfying to watch. I know he's a really good passer. Yeah, he's a very aesthetic player to watch. Like no wasted touches. Every pass is exactly where he wants it. Doesn't give the ball away. The first touch is the most important thing in a team like Everton in this new midfield watching them they can finally keep the ball just retain the ball without giving it away like every two seconds like they did last season that helps with the 4-3-3 and I'm, I'm happy that um, I'm happy that's gone to 4-3-3 it just gives us more options but yeah really happy with the result I'm also happy and you pointed out thinking Richarlison played really well I also thought he had a really good game I think there's like calming consensus online a lot of people thought he had a shocking game just because he didn't score to be fair, he should have scored that in the first half. I don't know what yeah, he was doing. Yeah, there. yeah. He rounded the keeper. All he had to do, he, if you're in that position, don't even try to shoot. Just put it, give it to Calvin. Yeah, at least square, square it. Square yeah. it and tap it in. So, but that I think, like I and I rate Richarlison really highly. And this isn't the best time to say this, but like finishing is probably a second best attribute behind his defensive work rate, which all of the all of his tackling stats back this up for this game but in general he's a very very dangerous finisher and he, he got like four or five shots cutting off like first he had that open net but then in the second half Thomas just switching the field and then Richarlison 1v1 with like Doherty all in all sorts of space Doherty had a nightmare by the way he was terrible um but Richarlison cutting in and curling it to the far post I think he's just not it looks like he's not fully like sharp if that makes sense, because the, the mm-hmm. finishing wasn't there today. But with more chances and Hamas just spreading the play like that, he should get a lot of chances this season. I think Hamas himself, I know that uh, Decoury after the game, they had the like reporters were asking him, like, how many times have you trained? And Decoury said he's trained like three times with the rest of the team. So I was really happy and how like how well and how in sync – the team looked with those new faces who have played together. You could see it a little early on there. The passes were a little bit, a little bit strange and giving the ball away a little bit, but by the end of the game, they knew exactly what they were doing. And um, as for Hamas, he's only, apparently he's only like 80 to 85% uh, match fit. But once he gets like um, fully match fit after playing games and hopefully he doesn't get injured, we can expect a, a lot from him he, he's definitely like watching that game just from a talent perspective easily like easily the most talented player on the pitch um in that game there weren't there was nobody else even close to his level but yeah I was really happy really really happy with the result we finally this is Everton's first win away to a, a top six team 
in uh, 40 attempts. So that, that record is finally broken. It's just embarrassing that 40 games away to a top six team. The last time was like 2013 against Man United at Old Trafford, but it's been a very long time uh, for that coming. Was that, first, was that the first game of the season that year? When Fellaini scored? Uh, yeah. No, I, think so. I remember it was it was Brian Oviedo scored the winner. I think it was oh, the right. yeah. Moist. Yeah. Moist season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. It was probably the Moist season. It yeah, was. but it's I been it. like seven seven years ago for that to happen. But yeah, it's good Sorry. to just have a midfield. I'll just go quickly go through my opinions on the players. We're to anybody listening, we're focusing on Everton this game because they never never win these games. So a little bit more focus on them. Uh, Pickford in that he was good and in my opinion I honestly don't care how well he plays this season I think that if a good offer comes in they need to sell him in my opinion I just don't rate him very highly this game yes he had a very good game but both shots in my opinion like the the first one the first like good save if that goes in like I I don't know what to say like that wasn't uh, that hard of a shot I think it was Harry Uh, who struck it but which one was it? The where was it? Was it Alley or? I think it was either Kane or Alley. Just cut in on his right foot and shot it and picked. It was it was going over the net probably. It was rising over the net and he just got good hands to it. And then the other one was Doherty when I think mm. Kane just flicked it over the defense yeah. and Doherty came in. Yeah, that was a better save. save. Yeah, yeah he cut like, down the overall, angle. Cut down the angle, but. In my opinion, and then he did he did make some catches and a couple of good punches. He had a great game, but I like some no. Everton fans were saying like this the season he could get his like future back for the club. So no, if you get a good offer within the next year, get get rid of him and you yeah. can get a better goalkeeper. But for now, because we like we can't do that in this market, and there's there's other areas that need to be addressed within the squad. Um, it's it's good to see him more focused. Um, and I think that now with these really good signings to come in, I think Pickford's probably seen um, what Ancelotti's capable of as, as uh, in terms of like player pull and who is willing to come to Everton because Hamas isn't coming to Everton without Ancelotti. Let's, let's be honest here. There's no chance um, that Pickford might be under a little bit pressure and probably doesn't feel that he's a hundred percent certain uh, to be the Everton number one for the future. So Hopefully he continues to play well. I'm I'm happy with that performance. Coleman, uh, like you said, they tried to get Sun on the ball early on. I was a little bit worried, but he dealt with the test really well. Uh, Yeri Mina, and Michael Keane, solid. They're in when they when they had to defend. Just it just cleared everything. Not too many problems, and obviously that helps with midfield and Allen in front of them, uh, who knows what he's doing. Luca Dean incredible cross for Calvert-Lewin's header. It was a perfect cross. I thought that was like a world-class delivery from that far out. I did see that Everton moved the ball like a little bit forward, like five, six yards forward, and Mourinho was complaining about that. I don't care at all. I I hope they do that every game. Mourinho cries after every game anyway. Um, Allen Allen was my man of the match. Allen was my man of the match. He was just like set the tone. And I don't think we've had a player I, – I can't remember the last time we've had a player or if I've ever seen Everton have a defensive player who seems to just understand his position in the defensive midfield role and just have good positioning and be where he needs to be to intercept and make tackles. 
Um, like Idrisa guy was very good at tackling, but he did roam a lot. Whereas Allen just sits and dictates the, the pace of the game is comfortable on the ball and just shielding the back four. I know Michael Keane already came out and said like, he's like a warrior in front of the back four and we love having him right in front because he, he screens us and just kind of protects the back four, which is really good. Decore just provided so much energy and also made a tackle. Um, yeah, last ditch. Mora in the oh, first. Yeah, yeah last ditch. That, that's a goal because Hyunmin's son was also in. So if that's Gilfie Sigurdsson or Tom Davis, then Spurs, Spurs go up there. But just that extra energy, really, really good game. Ham is just on a different level from the rest of the team. And he is um, maybe can't do it at Real Madrid because of Zidane, but maybe we build the team or like play to his strengths and get the best out of James and it's going to raise the whole team's level. Like, I don't know if you guys thought the same, but I thought as soon as James got on the ball, everybody was looking to make runs like his passing range. I don't know. Most of the time was just exposing Matt Doherty on the, on the far side yeah, and James his, would switch it to the left. His positioning was bad. Doherty. Yeah. He's not used to being in yeah. a four, so I'll give him a benefit, but his positioning yeah. was bad. Yeah, it was like Andy yeah. Townsend was saying on the broadcast, we're playing in a, as a right wing back and right back's way different. Like as a right wing back, you don't have to worry about the balls over the top or or obviously many mm-hmm. different things. You, you usually stay higher up the pitch and sometimes wider. So yeah. I will give him a yeah. pass, but. Yeah, yeah I, I agree yeah, though. Doherty know. was getting exposed because usually you'd have the center back to cover in the channel, but he would have to cover that himself because yeah. usually he'd be yeah. playing in a three. Three center backs, rather. Go on. Yeah, it just didn't seem like he was like he he wasn't staying back in that space. Then no, a player like Hamas, you could see his ability. Just he he can hit any pass. And by the end of the game, it, not the very end of the game, but maybe around like sixty fifth minute, just crossed a field to Richarlison. He was in quite a few times. There's mm-hmm. cross across the field, but also crosses for headers, which Richarlison, in, in, like when he's fully. When he's sharp and he's fully fit, and uh, after playing a bunch of games, maybe has to do with like a shorter preseason. But um, I expect him to do a lot better. But this is also against Spurs, who individual quality are one of the like they are one of the best teams in the league. So if you're getting Hamas spreading the play against some of the weaker teams in this league, I think that this attack and Calvert Lewin just very good in the air very good athlete never gets tired very quick very strong is is willing to do a lot of work up front by himself didn't look so isolated but um, I think that it's just really exciting the one thing I would like to say and and ask you guys your opinion I'm just going to quickly say that I don't think um, I don't think this really changes this one game really changes the goals for Everton this season. I think the goal is to, they need to be challenging for the European places, but I saw some like media outlets saying like top four is, is, is like the yeah. objective and they should be getting that. And in my opinion, I'll see what you guys think. In my opinion, that, that starting, that starting 11 might challenge for that based off of one game that I've seen against Spurs who are terrible. So it's not enough, but if they get one injury, they don't have enough depth to even, challenge for that i still think that the the objective should be tried again to like the europa league but what do you guys think about just after that initial performance what do you think that means for the goals for this season yeah i think uh i just want to mention quickly i thought the game hinged or changed when ali came off 
I thought that was a big tactical maneuver by Mourinho to make it more of a flat three with Sissoko, uh, Winks, and Hoiberg. But uh, as for the Everton goals, I think that it kind of stays the same for me. I predicted them to come in seventh. I still have them seventh. Maybe they push to sixth, but I don't really see them in the top four right now just based on the depth and the defense. I don't really see Keen, Mina, and uh, Coleman as a top four defense, but that's just me. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I agree completely. I don't think that – I mean, there's nothing wrong with gunning for the top four, but if you're yeah. expecting – if you're like, if you're convinced, if you're expecting to make it and you're hinging, you know, financial plans or whatever on it, I don't think that's smart. Um, obviously, I don't think that's what everything they're doing, but still, I don't think it's going to happen. And, <clears throat> again, they're – like, no one wants any injuries, but – they're one injury away in midfield from, you know, playing Tom Davies or Gilfie Sigurdsson again. And as we saw last season, it's not good enough. Um, even when Gilfie came on, I think for Andre Gomez, um, I didn't think he, he was that good. Gilfie, I saw him. Ooh. Yeah, he was bad. He was, yeah, bad. He was bad. Okay, good. I was trying yeah. to be diplomatic. But... No, I forgot about that point. Yeah, I meant to mention that <laughs> yeah, he, was he was not bad. giving the ball. Yeah, just giving the ball heading away the ball on his yeah. own 18-yard bo- box, cushion headers on the top of the 18. Yeah. Like, right. What are you doing? It was not great. I didn't want to. I didn't want to come down too harshly on him, but yeah, it was not good. Um, and and imagine starting that, and if if they have one injury, so it, it's a big drop off. So I don't, I don't particularly think that their objective should be any higher. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I just wanted to point that out because I saw a lot of the media outlets and a lot of the you know, like the panels and stuff saying that Everton should be trying to get into top four, which obviously they should be, but they are like literally one or two injuries away from being like not crap. not quite mid table because some of them they're not crap with that <laughs> one player. But if you take away if you take away Hamas to Correa and Allen, they are then yeah, they're crap again. So um one injury, they're a little bit worse, but yeah. Um just you gotta yeah, it's a it's a it's a project as as we say. So but, time, but but they do have the tactical flexibility. They do have a four four two. They do have the four four two in them, which we've raved about on this podcast, which we did not see this week. Yeah, they do have, they do have that waste in of time them. talking about the four four two from us over the last while. But hopefully, the four four two is seen this season. It will make an appearance, I'm sure. Like uh, if, it, if it was yeah. Alan, if it was Alan and Tom. With uh, Gordon on the left, uh, Hamas on the right, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin up front, that wouldn't be that bad. I'd rather play Decore yeah. than Tom. No, I know. Yeah. I'm just saying. If, I'm just saying if Decore was injured. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough. I trust Alan enough, but yeah, I just wanted to point that out and say that I, as an Everton fan, a biased Everton fan, still do not see us getting into the top four. You know. Anybody listening to this is going to be like, why are you even discussing the top four for everything? But we'll move on. Uh, the other game today, <laughs> yeah. The other game today, Sheffield uh, and Wolves played. Wolves winning 2-0 with early goals, and that was it. And Sheffield couldn't get, uh, couldn't pull any goals back. What were your thoughts on this one, Aiden? Yeah, I was buzzing. Uh, it was a good game. Obviously, early on, Wolves kind of sealed the game up but I was just buzzing as I was saying because I had Saiz in my uh, fantasy Premier League team he had a goal in the clean sheet Jake obviously shaking his head because he had Egan who had the yellow card and uh, did not keep the clean sheet so that was disappointing for him 
I thought it was a good performance from Wolves. Sheffield came on in the second half. Wolves Wolves took it to them in the first half. I think I mentioned it on this podcast before, but Sheffield is not going to be as good this season because their expected goals was supposed to be higher last season, except uh, Henderson stopped a lot of goals that should have gone in. And Ramsdale is not the same caliber of keeper that Henderson is. Unfortunately, he was relegated last season, but that's how it goes. And yeah. I think it was pretty straightforward. Obviously, a good first goal from uh, from Podence to uh, to Jimenez, a nice little half volley or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, it was pretty pretty straightforward for Wolves after they scored those two goals early on. Markel was pretty good as well. But I, for me, I thought uh, Saïs was the man of the match with his goal, and he won many headers, cleared the ball many times, and then they obviously have the flexibility to put Adama up top with Jimenez. And they bring on the the uh, the young man from Denmark, uh, Oscar Boer. So that was a, a good uh, good sign for Wolves. I think they have a lot of flexibility, and I'd look for them to play in the three four three this season. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, same. Or I think the same as you do. Um, you know, goal third minute, goal in the sixth minute, <laughs> the game was over after that. Um, mostly, I was looking at Johnny again for this game, like you said for the for the FPL reasons, but he was just a fouling machine here, just drawing a yellow card and, and having like three or four other fouls. Um but yeah it was it was an exciting start from Wolves. It was good. Like you said, Jimenez is like a side foot volley. Um just cushioned it in, but it was well it was a cushioned it in with some power behind it if that makes any sense. Um and yeah, Sice with the header, it was a nice header, but Ramsdale probably should have done better. Um, yeah, Sheffield United came into it in the second half. Um, obviously, like we know, Wolves do, they are kind of a defensive team. Um, so Sheffield did come on to them a little bit in the second half. Um, but they couldn't, they couldn't score a goal to, to put any pressure on them. Uh, the chance I'm thinking of Billy Sharp probably should have, uh, uh, given a better tap into John Lundstrom, but he just hit it too far in front of him. Um, but Goldrick, not the greatest when he came on, um, (laughs) <laughs> shocking for McGoldrick sorry no, he's sorry. not he says no quality about him go on Jacob and <laughs> no, that, that was all I was really gonna mention um yeah his two Premier League goals against Chelsea and I think that's it um so yeah Jack what'd you think uh well it kind of kills the game from a from a neutral perspective when there's two goals in the first six minutes <laughs> yeah and you just have to watch the rest of the game uh, but yeah, Wolves are a great team. Sheffield, all three of us, we we all feel they're not going to do as well this season, and teams are going to be more prepared to play against them. Um, but I thought I thought Raúl Jiménez, I thought he was very very good in this game, especially the first half um, with all the runs he's making. He, he's such a complete striker; can score any type of goal, um, but is also really good at linking up the play. So a lot, he's a lot faster than what people i think people give him credit for in the channel so he's not slow um so that he was really good and uh yeah you have you have neto pushing forward you have podence uh who looks like he's going to be after signing in january looks like he's finally adapted to the league and to his teammates so we'll probably see him more this season and yeah so wolves it's a uh, it's a good start from them. Sheffield, I'm, I'm sure Chris Wilder is, he's probably, well, he's obviously going to be unhappy with that start, but 
after six minutes and Wolves looked like they were they well they were all over Sheffield for Sheffield to actually push back not not throw the towel and to to keep it at two nil I thought that was a decent response but obviously Wilder's gonna expect a, a huge reaction in their next game uh last game uh Brighton and Chelsea Chelsea winning 3-1 uh with uh, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz making their Chelsea debuts. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on this one, Aiden? Yeah, this was an intriguing game, to be honest. Uh, I thought Brighton were a little bit unlucky to lose 3-1, to one, obviously off the penalty, which was just – I didn't really expect Alzate to play. I thought that they had some better options in midfield there with uh, uh, Stevens. Uh, at least there, I think there's another player I'm forgetting Jacob proper proper Stevens on proper uh, yeah could have been in midfield instead of Alzate but yeah he obviously gave away the first goal uh, I know if it was any of our clubs we would have been Everton or United we would have been kind of pissed giving away that that little cheeky foul from Matt Ryan on Werner but I think it was a penalty and obviously Jorginho slotted away with the Bruno technique uh, I think that in the first half, I was commenting to Jake that Chelsea were really just playing on the break. They didn't look like they had much about them in terms of keeping the ball and, and building out of the back, playing playing uh, good football like Graham Potter would be, the Brighton manager would be proud of. So I credit Brighton for their approach. Uh, Lamptey was excellent in the game. Uh, going forward, tackling back. Unfortunately, Lana got injured. He had to come off. Uh, you know, Zuma's goal wasn't great. The own goal, kind of crap. Great strike by Reese James. Honestly, that was separated the game. I thought that was that was the one moment once Brighton equalized, and then Reese James comes forward. The pass from Jorginho, and he rockets it in the uh, the right side of the goal. That was unreal, and I think that was the difference in the match. I don't think that Chelsea's uh, their best players had a great day, and I was. I was questioning the this selection from from Frank. Obviously, they got the result, but Loftus Cheek really are are you going to be playing him in this match? I would have started Hudson Adoy, maybe even uh, Tammy Abraham off the off the start with with Werner from the left. But Havertz and and Werner weren't really at it today, which was disappointing for my FPL. But uh, James with the goal and assist, and Georgina with the goal and assist, obviously helped them to get it done. I'm still not convinced with Christensen at Zuma at the back. Obviously, Tago Silva's coming in, but in my personal opinion, even though Zuma scored, I think that Christensen was the better of the two central defenders. And, uh, yeah, Trossard's goal. Yeah, Mount did not close him down, and uh, he got the strike away. I think Kepa could have been out there earlier to cut down the angle and save the ball, but that's just me. What do you guys think? Yeah, um... Just like you said, Brighton were pretty impressive. Um, I believe they had more possession uh, for the entire game. Um, so, obviously, we know that that's how they play now in their grand part, but it's still impressive to do it against a, a decent team like Chelsea, um, even though they're not great defensively still without their new signings uh, integrated. Um, and, obviously, I do like Brighton, so I I do feel bad for putting them in my relegation zone in my preview, but hopefully they don't get relegated. Hopefully I'm wrong about that one. Um but yeah, like you said, mainly Werner. He was he wasn't great, but he was 
he was active. Like he was dropping back. He was going left wing, right wing. He was all over the place. He was trying to create something. He was getting in behind too, of course, with his pace, like we know. Um, <clears throat> but Havertz was not influential at all, really, in my opinion. Um, he had that one awful moment where he just played that ball straight out of bounds, deep in his deep in his own end. Um, but I thought it was kind of curious to start him on the right. I wouldn't have done that. I think Havertz is probably better as a 10 in the middle where he could float around, um, kind of pop up in these spaces, uh, which is where you want him, uh, running in late to the box, kind of like Frank Lampard used to do as a, as a player. Um, I wouldn't have played him on the right. Um, I'm not sure what, what I want from Havertz is to have him tracking back and covering a winger or a wing back in this case. Um that's not really what you want from Havertz. That's not that's not what you bought him for. You bought him for his impact at the other end of the field. So I think you just give him the platform to to go and do his thing and play him as a number ten for that. Um, and like Ian was saying, Chelsea do have some flexibility. I, I even want to see. I know it's not FIFA or anything, but I, I would kind of like to see Havertz and Werner up front as a two, just to see how the, how they'd work together. Um, you know how their movement could confuse defenders. Maybe Werner, Werner going in behind and Havertz coming in short, would just be a nice combination. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's a win for Chelsea. It's what they wanted. Um, Kepa again, not great. But we we heard the audio after the game. Frank Lampard saying that he has trust in Kepa and he's their goalkeeper. So, so who knows how that's going to end? Um, Jack, what did you think about this game? Yeah, firstly. I don't believe Frank in talking about how he doesn't want a new goalkeeper. I think he's lying to everybody because I don't know how Kappa doesn't save that shot. It goes right, right through, like right under his arm. But um, yeah, I think I agree with Aiden in a sense. I think Brighton were a little unfortunate. Obviously, the penalty came as a result of like Matt Ryan passing to Alzate under all sorts of pre- pressure, but. Um, so there's a penalty there. Kurt Zuma, a deflected goal off of a penalty. And then Reese James, a very, very good goal. So the quality shows there. And I think that's kind of, that's what separated these two teams. Because overall, when I was looking at the patterns of play and watching, saying, okay, how is each team going about this match and trying, trying to win this game? You could see what Brighton were trying to play this style. And when I was watching Chelsea, although they did win in the end, and it was, and I think it just came down to individual quality and mistakes by Brighton. Uh, I didn't really see any patterns from, from Chelsea looking for like rep, like them trying to repeat different types of plays over and over that are from the training ground. Now you can also say that it's, they've got some new signings in there and it'll take time for them to adapt. And maybe at this point, um, you know, it's still three-one win and three points is all they're probably after until all their signings are are fully settled and integrated within the squad. So, um, if I'm a Chelsea fan, like I'd be happy with the result, but overall, I, I would, as a as a neutral or a rival fan, I guess I wasn't overly impressed with Chelsea. Um, but we'll have to wait wait and see. I think it'll take a couple of games. Like um, if we're making the comparison, the new signings, like having Werner who's been there a while now, Werner and Havertz, who hasn't been there as long, uh, their inst- instant impact or um, chemistry within the Chelsea squad, if we're just going to make the comparison to having like Hamas, Decore, and Allen at Everton's, you, you could see a huge, like way more chemistry with Everton's new signings within their squad than you could see with, with Werner and Havertz within the Chelsea squad. But 
they got the three points and they do have some really, really talented individuals. So at this point after game one, I guess that's, that's all you're looking for. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I would just, uh, I just caution, like, obviously it wasn't a great performance from Chelsea, but just caution people like on taking too big of a stance. I think they'll, you'll see what they're made of in the next five game weeks when they come up against Liverpool next week. And then, in uh, three game weeks after that, they come up against Man United. So we'll see what they're made of when they have Ziyech and Pulisic fully fit and Thiago mm-hmm. Silva also, who did not play today. Um, so we'll see what they're made of. They're obviously relying on those signings to provide a bit better. And we didn't see anything out of Werner or Ziyech to really give us an indication. So, yeah, as you said, it yeah. was an instant impact from uh, from Chelsea signings like we would have seen from or we did see from Everton. So we'll see. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think um, just, I believe, just Lamptey was really good. I just think I have to mention it as well, just just because he was really impressive. Um, he was good uh, after lockdown from what I've heard, but obviously I didn't watch that many Brighton games, so I can't really tell you for sure. But, but yeah, it was really impressive today. I think he skinned Alonso a couple of times and got a couple of good crosses and shots. And so, yeah, so yeah, it was really impressive to watch. Mm-hmm. He's going into my FPL team. I've already made the transfer. Very nice. Very reactionary. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing really, really bad at the moment after after the first game week. And uh, I'll take the points hit for transfers because I've made some mistakes. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he's back in the team. I've been disrespectful to him by taking him out. Dominic <laughs> Calvert-Lewin's back in the team. So I'm hopefully so- he will... He will he will help me up the table here because we're not doing too well. I'm so sorry that that we t- that maybe our influence talked you out of Calvert Lewin and Zaha being <laughs> both scored. I'm so sorry. <laughs> to be fair, Richarlison kind of made me more angry because I already had him in the team, and then as soon as he rounded uh, Hugo Lloris, I had my hands in the air because I'm like, we've done it. He scored, and then he put it wide. I was like, are you? My first reaction was like, "You're in my 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 team. I need you. I need you to put that in here. I'm struggling." That's the fun of it. And then then he proceeded to miss every single shot in the game. I was like, "Jack, I just have a can... question." Yeah. No, I just have a question for you. Being the Everton expert and the Everton fan, what do you think for an FPL manager? Do you go for the the one the one million pound uh, cheaper option in Calvert Lewin for the rest of the season, or do you bank on Richarlison getting the points? Uh, oh, that that's tough. But be, I'm basing this off the fact that Calvert Lewin, like every single season since coming to Everton, every single season has gotten better. And I think he scored 15 last season. Um, Richarlison might have scored 14 or 15. They might have scored the same. I can't remember. Uh, who's a better player, Richarlison? I think he's a more dangerous player. Definitely a better finisher. So I would say, although they are like. I'm not going to say they're similar types, but Richarlison can also score every type of goal, and he's a really good finisher. Calvert-Lewin, really hard worker. He's not on the same level as Richarlison, so I would say uh, stick with with Richarlison for now. There you go. Just yeah. asking. Uh, lastly, before we uh, before we finish up here, Man United obviously didn't play uh, this week, but they play next Saturday. Do you guys want to quickly go over your thoughts and your predictions? They play against Palace on Saturday. Um, just a quick preview to United's first game of the season. Any any thoughts? Any 
expectations. I'm, I'm sure you expect a win, but. Yeah, definitely expecting maybe a, I mean, I'm not expecting a huge scoreline or anything. I think they could struggle against a defensively sound Palace team, maybe a, a two nil or something like that, maybe a one nil, but I'm not expecting a massive scoreline, but. Um, yeah, I think that obviously Pogba had uh, COVID, so he's probably not going to be starting from the off. So I'd expect uh, Van de Beek and Bruno to start, Rashford, Martial. Uh, since Greenwoods has his trouble with the press and his actions uh, for England, I, for me, I'd think Dan James is going to play. Luke Shaw, left back, Wambasaka, Maguire, Lindelof, David De Gea. Um, yeah, so I just think it's going to be a 1-0 or 2-0 for United. Um, yeah, and we'll just take those three points and move on to the next game where we can get all the players in. Hopefully have one or two more signings in the form of Reggion and Sancho for the second or third game week and uh, take that on. Uh, I'm not – I'm not um, – I'm not blind in thinking that Crystal Palace can't hurt us on the break if they still have players on the team like Eze and Zaha. Uh, United's defense can definitely get uh, be got at, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I still think it's going to be a, maybe a 2-0 win for United. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I hope so. Um, obviously, it's important to get off to a good start like we saw because um, United do have a decently tough uh, fixture run coming up. They start with Palace and they play Brighton and then it goes Spurs, Newcastle, Chelsea, Arsenal, Everton. Um, so it's not not easy. So, you know, it's, it's imperative to take uh, three points from the teams that you should. Um, and, yeah, like you said, uh, Pogba not starting. So we'll see how that goes. But it's I know that there's been different points, like under Moyes and maybe Mourinho mm-hmm. and stuff. But for some reason, this feels like the, like the first – preseason we're going into the new season United really have high expectations um instead of just being in like a rebuilding mode or or without signings like I know that at the other points too like maybe Mourinho's first season after he signed uh Ibrahimovic and Bai and Pogba there and Mkhitaryan there were big expectations going in but this one just feels different for some reason because United's actually building on something um and I mean like last time we saw we were in this position, United finished second place, but then they signed Lee Grant and Fred and Diego Dalo, and that's it. So it's it's obviously not enough. Um, and if United can bring in uh, Donny van de Beek and Sancho and Reggion, like you mentioned, uh, that would just be, you know, completely different to what we've, we've experienced probably post-Ferguson. Um, so, yeah, it's just really important to get off to a good start. But hopefully this is season where United can, can continue building instead of, taking you know one step forward two steps back so um, I'm hopeful for the season but I'm also nervous because if Sancho and uh, Reggion don't come in then I'm sure I'll be back to my to my pessimistic nature uh, concerning United where I'll just be just be disappointed and just be annoyed um, without the Champions League. Yeah as a as a neutral and Everton fan I'd expect United to win this game um, and then build from there. I think uh, you guys, you guys will know what I mean on on like Friday night when when you know every or when you know United's gonna play the next day. You will be very excited. It'll be the first time in a while where you actually feel some some I'm sure some like true hope in actually being able to um, really really compete this season. I, I I'm pretty sure you'll feel that way. That's how I felt when I, when I saw the Everton team sheet this weekend. 
but yeah, I think it's exciting times ahead. I think they probably, I think they'll win the first game and then look to build from there. And then uh, Pogba coming back, but um, Everton, they play West Brom next week at home. So um, after being kind of disrespectful and making fun of West Brom today, I hope that Everton can actually come through and uh, beat them pretty, pretty easily. Otherwise I look like an idiot, but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that works out. I think that's about everything. Follow us on Twitter at OTL Soccer Pod. Send in any questions that you have uh, by email. The emails OTL Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I just want to say thank you for listening, and we will be back next week.